Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty and welcome to Talking Design. Today I'd like to share with you my interview with Roger Leong. Roger, now with the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney, has decades of knowledge on fashion and is behind some of the country's most memorable exhibitions. Enjoy. Hello, this is Stephen Crafty and I'm here at the National Gallery of Victoria and I'm speaking to Roger Leong, Curator of International Fashion and Textiles at the National Gallery of Victoria and one of the curators of Manstyle, an exhibition of menswear, past and present. In terms of um, some of the highlights of the exhibition, Manstyle, uh, when you go through your archives yeah. uh, and you've got a huge archive, what are you actually looking for? What are the pieces that speak to you? What are you trying to say with each piece? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really big question. Really, what we're looking for, uh, ideally, are those works that represent those uh, peak moments in, in fashion, in terms of uh, fashion change. So uh, either designers or works that represent those moments that uh, typify, uh, you know, a, a very important stage in fashion. Uh, so, you know, we start off with these fabulous silk coats with in voluminous uh, sort of pleated skirts uh, made out of heavily brocaded silk and, you know, with huge deep cuffs, which, you know, which is almost unimaginable for, for a modern man today to wear. But, you know, believe it or not, they represented the early uh, beginnings of the uh, three-piece suit. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we have... Uh, uh, we wanted to represent uh, the classic uh, pinstripe suit, you say, from the 1940s or 50s, which we have done uh, from a, an English suit in the, in the exhibition. But we also wanted to, to pick up on those designers who have registered important changes. So over the far f past five years, p uh, designers like Tom Brown from New York uh, has, you know, every young man... In every city across the world, has been hiking up their trousers, you know, in, in mm. these deep cuffs, wearing socks, uh, shoes without socks, and uh, embracing the three-piece suit, you know, um, and that's all down to uh, Tom Brown. But before that, you know, in the early uh, years of the uh, millennium, uh, the, the hot designer and the big influence was Eddie Sleman from uh, the designer for Dior yeah. Homme who created those really slim, mod-influenced silhouettes. And we have a wonderful cape, a tweed cape, and a, a sort of soft silk blouse uh, designed by him in the exhibition. But there are also some other fabulous moments, like um, we often think of Giorgio Armani as being the creator of the relaxed, unlined suit, you know, from the sort of 70s and 80s. But we have a fantastic example from the nine, uh, from about 1920, a silk raw silk suit uh, made in America that was worn by Percy Granger, totally unlined, totally relaxed, you know, as soft as a as a kind of summer shirt. So there are all these fabulous, uh, important moments in fashion that we are able to represent in the exhibition, and that's what ideally we look for. But then there are also those mavericks like uh, Lee Bowery, who was an enormous influence, the Australian-born Lee Bowery. Yeah. He's an interesting one. First thing, if we go back to um, 
uh, Percy Granger, mm. he used to make all his own clothes and he used to love tea towels and a lot of his clothes. Bath towels. Bath towels, yes, that's right, yes. bath towels. Yes. So you've got this wonderful um, design by Percy Granger in the exhibition of of one of his bath towel well, creations. Ab- absolutely. Talking about Mavericks, Percy Granger, while he musician. was... Musician. Uh, composer. The, the composer and musician, while he was a kind of uh, perfectly tailored dandy uh, in the public arena and always wore perfectly uh, tailored suits, uh, in private life he embraced a very uh, divergent sort of style of dress. He was very much inspired by uh, tribal cultures, whether they be African or American Indian. And he, uh, in the exhibition that we've, uh, we've got a wonderful outfit that he created with his wife Ella Granger that was made out of toweling, uh, you know, wonderful sort of uh, shaggy sort of deep pile t- toweling, which... Uh, which uh, very difficult to tell what this sort of influence is, but I, I suspect there's a bit of a Native American sort of a feel about that particular outfit. The other person, as you mentioned, was um, Lee Barry, who actually studied uh, fashion at RMIT, and before he went over to Europe, the story goes, from what I've heard, is that he didn't want to design clothes for other people. I think his first brief from these from the uh, lecturers was designed a children's wear collection and he thought, oh, I'm not doing this and uh, headed off to London. For people who don't know Lee Bowery, he uh, came from a fairly conservative background and his parents were Seventh-day Adventists and uh, he went to London and absolutely shocked them because he used to walk down London streets dressed as a penis and he was kind of later got involved with the uh, culture club and Boy George and um, that whole scene so we've got this wonderful um, almost a body bag type suit um, that Lee designed Mm. and um, it's kind of slightly bulbous so he kind of exaggerated the Mm. uh, human form Roger this was obviously a major um, purchase for the NGV and quite adventurous at the time. Mm. It must have been quite a shock when they, you know, to buy it. What are your thoughts on the Lee Bowery outfit? And, and, you know, obviously this isn't what men are wearing today, but what does it say? Uh, Look, well, I think the point about Lee Bowery was he was someone who you wouldn't really even call a designer, like you say. He really made clothes for himself. And really he turned uh, the whole idea of dressing up in the way that he did and the clothes that he made, he turned that into an art form. He was really a performance artist. And so uh, he really stands outside of fashion. And really what you see before you is that wonderful pregnant tutu head surmounted by that sort of wonderful tulle sort of mask and that amazing bulbous sort of uh, belly. And again, interestingly, also made out of terry toweling. So uh, I think uh, uh, Bowery represents not so much uh, what fashionable men uh, could have chosen to wear, but he was this uh, very interesting influence on designers and other artists such as Boy George, uh, such as uh, John Galliano, uh, and also um, Alexander McQueen. He inspired a kind of maverick uh, edginess in, in British designers particularly, and I think that legacy uh, in, in terms of his relationship to contemporary fashion 
was a very important one. The other people who were uh, interesting in the exhibition are Sarah Thorne, who worked with Bruce Slorick uh, in the mid-80s. And I noticed, it was quite interesting, I was looking at a number of the designers, people like um, Sarah Thorne and Bruce Slorick, uh, people like Inas Larsis, uh, Melbourne designers, that they actually had, uh, even people like Gavin Brown from Plain Jane, they actually had quite short careers spanning only a few years. I suspect that the 80s, even though they were very exciting times, they were also very turbulent times financially. Yes, and look, uh, I, I think really these are designers who are working almost uh, as artists, craftsmen in a way. And so these are people who have a very particular point of view. They have a very, uh, you know, adventurous uh, client and, uh, you know, those sort of moments don't last that very long. I mean, however, these designers have gone on to, to uh, craft their careers in slightly different ways. Uh, so uh, the Plain Jane label may have only lasted for a few years, but of course Gavin Brown's gone on to become a textile designer, then later a painter. And Sarah Thorne, of course, has, has uh, concentrated more on textile design uh, uh, homewares. and homewares throughout her career, uh, later on in her career. But I mean, the, those clothes are among some of the most adventurous in the adventurous in the exhibition. Well, for those who can't see it, um, Sarah Thorne and Bruce Bruce Slorick, for example, they did a kilt, um, a, a, you know, a kilt and a, a heavily uh, embroidered and decorated printed jacket. Mm. Um, Plain Jane did this wild. Um, combination of snakes and ladders he calls mm. his jacket snakes and ladders but it's uh, an Indian theme inspired mm. quite almost garish mm. so these designs in a sense were, weren't for the faint-hearted were they? No absolutely not and um, but I think also what's really interesting about both Gavin Brown and Sarah Thorne and Bruce Lorak from that period is that they were really at the cutting edge of uh, graphic design, uh, textile design and fashion design at that crucial moment in the sort of mid to late 1980s. These were, they were really kind of leading edge and they were doing as well if not better than uh, comparable designers uh, overseas in the UK or, or um, in the United States. Uh, for instance, Sarah Thorne uh, and Blue Slorak's out, sort of kilt outfit has combines all these wonderful uh, sort of postmodern references to sort of uh, there are sort of wonderful Greek fret designs, uh, a kind of embroidery on the back of the jacket, which is a reference to sort of hip hop clothing, and it's, it's all sort of mixed up with lots of different references, which is incredibly uh, uh, original for the time. What I also noticed from the exhibition is you placed uh, it was interesting the juxtaposition of position uh, of clothing, so you'd have a a beautifully embroidered jacket from the 1700s, uh, sitting next to a Jean-Paul Gaultier cardigan, heavily embroidered, almost Chinese silk and very beautiful. And the two almost could have been from the same period. So obviously that was an intentional to talk about the relationship between the different periods. Yeah, look, what we wanted to point out uh, in the exhibition by juxtaposing historical and more contemporary pieces was the way that contemporary designers pick up on certain traditions. And Jean-Paul Gaultier is someone who has raided a lot of different cultures, including his own sort of French uh, 18th century culture. You know, he, in fact, he did whole collections based on 18th century men's dress. Uh, and uh, he 
as you can see, he, he picked up on this idea of the embroidered, uh, rich embroidery of the um, of this sort of ancien regime of France, you know, which was a very important moment in French culture. Um, uh, but he also, interestingly, combines that outfit with these sort of tights and these sort of uh, sort of steel. Uh, plated uh, Doc Martens, you know, giving it a much more contemporary uh, edge. And um, fashion, uh, an exhibition on men's fashion wouldn't be complete without Vivian Westfoot, and she has these lovely, some wonderful, wonderful pieces, uh, highly deconstructed, some from the punk period, um, and it's quite extraordinary. Tell me a little bit about um, that period and, and what was so exciting about it. Well, gosh, there's so much to say about Vivian Westwood because she's one of the giants of, of fashion in the sort of 70s, 80s and 90s. Her influence was incredible and both her and Gaultier had a massive influence on men's fashion in those decades. And Westwood alone, you know, starting with the, the punk period, that whole, like you say, deconstructionist period where she sort of... Uh, slashed garments, she ripped garments and she exposed seams and then she, she plastered uh, t-shirts and shirts with the most offensive slogans uh, which today are still incredibly offensive to, to our minds, minds and eyes. Uh, but then she sort of started looking back at uh, English history, looking back at the, the Tudor period, uh, looking at slashed clothing in a much more sort of constructed way, in the way that Henry VIII would wear slashed breeches. Uh, and so you see her cut and slash collection, which, you know, at the time to some people might have looked sort of post-punk, but it actually was a re very uh, uh, sort of accurate recreation of a, a very historical a style of uh, dressing. Uh, and then you also have the sort of the way that we have another coat uh, from her Anglomania collection, which actually looks back at her own heritage uh, in the sort of late 70s and early 80s, where she really started to take apart part clothing and deconstruct the cut of clothing. Uh, and that was a huge influence, of course, on the Japanese designers in the early 1980s. So her influ influence really spans about three decades. One of my favourite pieces in the exhibition is by Vivian Westwood. It's that deconstructed, almost Hessian-like outfit mm. of coat and mm. trousers. Mm. I think it's just exquisite. Mm. Um, really quite exquisite. It reminds me of the early 80s, mm. but it was actually mid-90s. Yes, um, yes. Well, it's, her, it's Vivian Westwood co quoting Westwood herself. Uh, um, you know, it's, be, it's been a very interesting period, the sort of post sort of 80s period where there's been a lot of kind of historical quoting and designers have been able to kind of find a clientele who still want to uh, uh, buy the sort of clothes that they were famous for uh, one or two decades earlier. And so there's been this interesting sort of, while fashion's been moving forward, a lot of people are, are much more interested in sort of quoting back, uh, looking at clothing that looks back to the past, even if it's the immediate past. The other thing I found really interesting is you've also got a wonderful range of men's ties mm. and they really show you the extent that designers can go to when they, when they, they can turn the most boring tie into something quite three-dimensional. Mm. And there's some wonderful ties in the exhibition by Jean-Paul Gaultier, uh, Fornacetti, who was a master of um, graphic design and print. Tell me, you know, are, are men getting more adventurous in in what they're wearing? 
I think men are becoming more adventurous in what they wear uh, in the past few years. We've had, you know, we've, we, I think menswear over the past couple of decades has gone through sort of peaks and troughs of adventurousness. We've come through a fairly conservative period, and, um, and, uh, but I think men are starting to embrace colour and pattern a little bit more in the past few years. Uh, and they're starting to sort of play with the, uh, the uh, contrast between formal and informal, which is a very interesting sort of combination. So jeans and a, and a tailored jacket. Yeah, or even a sort of three-piece suit, but with the sort of trousers hiked up, you know, to the calves in the sort of Tom Brown style, mm. you know, shoes without socks and all that sort of stuff. And starting to, people, men are starting to, young men are starting to wear sort of pocket squares and cravats mm. and things like that. Um, but they're sort of doing that in a, a more sort of casual street aware way. So, you know, they might be wearing it with a pair of boots instead of mm-hmm. brogues or whatever. Uh, but I think also interestingly, uh, over the past couple of decades, one of the most mainstream forms of sort of way that men have become adventurous is, is are in the sort of t- in the t-shirt designs that they wear you know which often carry some very interesting sort of graphic designs while the form is very conservative the t-shirt mm-hmm. the graphic design can be quite outlandish and then of course in sneakers sneaker design has been incredibly which creative had, which you had a full exhibition on yeah we had an exhibition a few years ago on sneaker mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. and uh, so you know and in a way that sort of slipped under our notice in a way because it is so mainstream but when you look at the shoes that some young men have bought and worn over the past couple of decades they really are some of the most creative forms of uh, contemporary design look I think men's fashion is is, is literally on a kind of knife edge because we've had that androgynous uh, look happening with the sort of draped clothes and a lot of sort of uh, uh, interesting sort of um, uh, unisex looks, and I think someone like Rick Owens has really been driving that trend over the past few years, uh, and created quite a strong cult following. And there's certainly a lot of designers who, locally and internationally, who've sort of picked up on that, that style. But at the same time, we have had that recent revival over the past few years in uh, uh, contemporary tailoring, inspired by people like Tom Brown and earlier Paul Smith. Paul Smith and Eddie, also in the exhibition. Yeah, Eddie Sliman and people like mm-hmm. that. Um, so, and to be honest, I don't know which way it's going to go. I, I think we're at a point where there are going to be some very interesting developments forward, but I'm actually finding it hard to read which way forward it's going to go. Roger, I, That's don't, exciting. Know, I don't know if you, if you researched this when you were doing the exhibition, but is there a correlation between the flamboyance, the more flamboyant garments, and the economic conditions of the time? Like in a, in a recession or a, a depression, you know, is there more sombre dressing? And then you find that in the more buoyant times, uh, people are much more adventurous? Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, you only have to look at the, the early 18th century clothes and the late 18th century clothes in our exhibition, they represent that sort of last flowering of the uh, the excesses of the aristocracy before they were uh, either voted out, or, you know, pushed out, pushed out, or democracy was sort of installed and uh, they were kind of uh, sidelined. Uh, and so, uh, and then of course, you know. Uh, clothing for men uh, in the early 20th century was very much affected by the Great Depression. Uh, you know, so very dark, sombre suits became the order, order of the day for decades after that. And then, of course, that great flowering didn't really, uh, in menswear, didn't really emerge again until 
the only early to late 1960s, which are an economically incredibly buoyant period in, uh, in uh, Europe and North America and Australia. Some wonderful examples in the exhibition of um, uh, velvet suits from the late hmm. 60s and early 70s. Uh, they're quite extraordinary, and it did represent quite a divergence to how men were dressing in the early 60s, which was pretty stitched up, and all of a sudden Carnaby Street came, and obviously that affected the way Australians dressed. Tell me a little bit about that period and some of the pieces from that time. Well, uh, we, we represent that sort of late flowering, you know, which some people often call the Peacock Revolution, with, with uh, a wonderful purple suit from uh, the late 1969, I think, from memory, from, uh, from Bieber, uh, purple velvet suit um, with sort of flared trousers and a wonderful uh, uh, tailored suit made by Tommy Nutter, who was a great influence in the late 1960s and early 1970s. And what he did was, he was a Savile Row tailor. An Australian, I believe, wasn't he? No, he was, was born he? in Wales. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so Tommy Nutter really took that Savile Row tradition of uh, perfectly tailored suits, but he totally changed the proportion and scale of them. He produced these very wide lapels, almost as wide as the shoulders. He produced these nipped-in waists, and he used fabrics. He used a lot of kind of uh, plaid and checks and... and um, stripes and he mixed up different patterns in the one suit and there was always a waistcoat and a tie so they're all often done in sort of slightly mismatched patterns and that created in a very subtle way a, a, a much more outlandish version of the traditional uh, English suit. You've also got some wonderful um, pieces by World and also by Comme de Garçon. I'm thinking of those in extraordinary floral suits that you have yeah. in the exhibition at the Ian Potter Centre. Yes. Um, yes. They're pretty outrageous and they're from different time periods. Some are, you know, well, earlier. The, yes, well, the world suit's from the uh, from about three or four years ago. It's, ma it's actually, actually called the Sanderson suit because it's actually made out of uh, upholstery fabric, Sanderson upholstery right. fabric. So it's sort of referencing that, that sort of uh, English domesticity, but it's uh, but made into a suit. It doesn't look sort of boring and bourgeois. It looks actually quite outlandish, like you say. Um, and the Comte de Garçon suit is made in this fabulous sort of printed velvet uh, with, with all these sort of in intricate designs uh, from the late 1990s. Look, thank you so much, Roger, for showing me through <laughs> this exhibition. It's been fabulous, and um, I hope people come and see this exhibition because it's, it's been a long time in the planning. And I remember when Roger first told me he was doing this exhibition, I kept saying, when is it happening? So thank you so much, Roger. Oh, you're most welcome. And I should also point out that, you know, this has been a collaborative exercise between the Australian Fashion and Textiles Department, headed by Katie Somerville, and our department, the International Fashion and Textiles Department. So I'd like to acknowledge my co-curators, um, Paolo de Trocchio in my department and Katie Somerville, Danielle Whitfield and Laura Yotzig in the Australian department. And Roger, there'll be floor talks, I believe, relating to this exhibition? Yes, there'll be a series of floor talks uh, uh, starting this week, in fact, and then uh, some later on uh, during, throughout the exhibition, as well as a series of movies and lectures by uh, academics and also workshops on men's styling. Uh, lots of activities. Great. Thank you so much, Roger. Thanks, David. That was fun.